0: Greetings to my lovely audience. My name is Sylvan. I use he, him pronouns and welcome back to LGBTQSU. Hope everybody's having a great day today and I hope everyone's excited for spring break. So cause that's coming up really quickly. Uh, I I keep forgetting like what day it is. Every, every single day I keep forgetting what day it is. But my God, was February the longest month ever? Jeez. <laughs> like I thought it was never going to end and February is supposed to be the shortest month of the year. Like I, I was, I was dying out here. I was straight up. I was, I was not having a good time. But you know, it's March now. And we're getting, we're getting it back into the swing of things already. And spring break's coming up so soon. Like what? We have two weeks left. Two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. I think like about two weeks left until spring break. So you know, we're trucking through. We got this. We can do it. We're not gonna have a breakdown. And if we do, it's okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. But anyway, a couple housekeeping things or like less housekeeping and more just like cool stuff that'll hopefully happen or slash is going to happen uh yeah (laughs) anyway uh i'm hopefully gonna get around to designing a logo for the podcast uh I've i've been wanting to do it for the longest time it's just like whenever i have the time i have no motivation or no inspiration and then when i have the inspiration i don't have the time so that's been fun but hopefully hopefully that'll happen this semester maybe, who knows. (laughs) Um, But something that will happen is I'm actually going to be using this podcast for a project for one of my classes. Um, One of the classes I'm taking right now is thought and social diversity. So we're going to be, our final project is talking about, uh, like, diversity in, well, okay, technically, the prompt for that part of the project is diversity in your major or field which seeing as i'm undeclared i was a little confused on how i could apply that because i didn't like the other prompt (laughs) so i talked to my teacher and she's like well just like hypothetically um so i'm going to be making it lgbtq related and i'm going to be using the podcast as the final project so stay tuned for that that'll be happening much later in the year um but that'll be fun so yeah, the, that's the that's the two housekeeping things. Um, but anyway, today's episode is going to be talking about the new anti-LGBTQ legislation making its way around the country right now. Yay! <laughs> oh my God, that's been that's been fun. As as somebody that like I don't consider myself super informed on uh, you know current events and things like that, but I've been doing my best because wow that's that's great that's going great thank you texas and florida you know i was actually going to do this episode last week right around when these were like first coming out and first being announced and discussed but i really wanted to get that black history month out or that black history month episode out there before february ended um and i was hoping to catch some updates which there kind of has been but not really (laughs) um but uh i'm also going to be talking about the history of anti-LGBTQ legislation in the United States. Um, so this episode going to be a bit more scripted because I'll be examining and discussing specific articles about the bills and the issues both currently and throughout history. Um, so without further ado, let's start talking about it and let's you know get into that script. So according to the Inquirer, at least seven states have proposed laws and bills that quote limit the rights of transgender and non-binary kids in the first week of 2022 specifically relating to access to bathrooms and sports in schools and gender-affirming care. Texas' governor, Greg Abbott, instructed Child Protective Services to investigate all parents of transgender children for instances of child abuse, stating that any gender-affirming care would be treated as abuse. Isn't that swell? <laughs> so, as a trans person, of course, I have a lot to say on this, um, which it's just— It's honestly just infuriating is the really big thing. Um, I've been talking a lot about it with my sister, actually, because she lives in Texas. Um, She works in schools. She's a teacher. And that's just, yeah, there's been a lot of discussions in the family group chats um, about just Greg Abbott in general, but specifically this. Um, Like, as, as a younger trans person who was searching for and seeking out gender-affirming care since I was like what 13 this this is horrifying and the fact that gender-affirming care is being treated as child abuse is just disgusting for for those out there that are not trans themselves or just are not seeking gender-affirming care and are not surrounded by people that are seeking this and like you haven't seen the personal effects that ...access or lack of access has, I cannot begin to express how wrong this is and how just ironic it is, frankly, because lack of gender-affirming care and, like, uh, uh, I'm tr- trying to find the, the exact word for it right now, but, like, the the specific lack and suppression of gender-affirming care by parents is more along the lines of what could be and should be constituted as child abuse because of the mental and physical effects that that has on a child. And, of course, there's a lot of debate about whether children should have access to gender-affirming care in any capacity and, like, when that should be okay. And there's a lot of discussion about that, which I could dedicate an entire episode on, which I think that would actually be a really interesting, like, interview topic to discuss with another trans person um but like so so I don't want to get into like the super big nuances on that but my god is that infuriating like when I heard about this bill that was being proposed and all of these different things I've just I can't I don't even have the mental energy to like get super fired up and angry about it anymore because I just can't like you know part of it is all of the other LGBT like, anti-LGBTQ legislation throughout history, which, you know, that's for later this episode. Um, but that is, of course, not the only thing, not, not the only anti-LGBTQ legislation or issue that's been coming to light. Um, apparently, also from the Inquirer article, in Colorado, a wedding's web designer brought her case to the Supreme Court, stating that she shouldn't have to serve gay clients due to religious beliefs. Isn't this, like, a nice callback to, like, 2018 with the the, the wedding cake stuff? Girly, like, this—I we I thought we talked about this. I thought we've already figured this out. I thought we did. Um, uh, So, uh, that—I remember that. I remember that wedding cake thing. And that was when I was still kind of in that, like, pick-me phase of being a queer person. Of, like, well, you know, I understand, but then I, like, you know— thought for a second with critical thinking skills and realized no that's dumb because don't do y'all remember when they were equating like a a christian wedding cake well a a christian baker having to put a gay couple on a wedding cake like when they were equating that to a jewish person putting a swastika on a cake because that was horrifying oh my lord i remember like I vaguely remember the outrage from the Jewish community in particular on that one. My God. Um, but one one final thing from this article that was particularly striking to me, it's a, it's a quote. Pennsylvania remains one of 27 states with no explicit statewide laws protecting people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity in employment, housing, and public accommodations. I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that there were so many states Let alone that Pennsylvania was one of them. Am I surprised? No. (laughs) Like, am I surprised at all that Pennsylvania is one of these 27 states? No, I'm not surprised at all. But I just wasn't aware. And my god, like... It's just... uh, the, The more I... The older I get and the more, like, politically informed I get on the status of this country, the more hopeless I feel. Um... We're not hopeless. It just feels that way, especially when you're a younger queer person that doesn't really have the, or doesn't feel that they have the means of helping to fix this situation and fix all of these issues. However, a little bit more on that towards the end of the towards the end of the episode. Um, but that wraps up the Inquirer article course, that's not the only thing we're discussing today. According to Reuters, uh, Florida's House of Representatives approved the bill prohibiting the discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in classrooms this year. Uh, While the bill only explicitly bans this, quote, age-inappropriate discussion in kindergarten through third grade, critics are concerned the bill will have effect in older grades as well due to the language centering around this age-appropriate discussion. This bill will also allow families to sue school districts supposedly in violation. Uh, This is, uh, this is the notorious don't say gay bill that everyone has been talking about. Um, I heard the term don't say gay bill before I even really knew what this was about. Um, And once again, am I surprised that this is coming from Florida? No. Am I disappointed? Yes. (laughs) And, like... I actually wasn't even fully aware until doing the research for this article that the bill only explicitly bans this discussion in kindergarten through third grade classrooms, um, because a lot of the discussion has just been centering around the don't say gay and the banning of it in general, not specifically who it was banned for. But I, I completely agree with critics that this is not just going to affect kindergarten through third grade. And i i fully expect that if this does fully make it into like if this does fully go into effect that this will not be the only bill that gets passed and that it will if it is not put if it, if it is not stopped sooner rather than later it will not be the first it will not be the only one it will only be one of many and they will get more and more explicit in their bands and more broad in who who this discussion is declared inappropriate for um and it is supposedly um by the officials that are backing this bill it is aiming to keep schools from discussing topics that children aren't ready to process yet and this is i forget what exactly the fallacy is that they're using here um we studied like all the different logical fallacies that you can use in arguments like straw man fallacy and uh, like, the snowball effect and stuff. We we studied that in, like, I think my junior year of high school, so I forget exactly what fallacy this is, um, but this is a huge fallacy because there's this huge, there's this huge thing around discussing LGBTQ topics that it's all about sex, and it's all inappropriate because, you know, little Timmy doesn't need to know what gay sex is in third grade. You're right. Like, third graders don't, really need to know a whole lot about sex straight or gay because they're in third grade there's age appropriate discussion of sex that can happen in third grade and that's fine like you don't need to teach a third grader the nuances of gay sex but little johnny that has a crush on his friend timmy might feel a little better knowing that that's a thing and that that's okay and honestly like I guess this is a little bit of a sidebar i feel like part of the problem is that it's called sexuality which gets everyone's pants in a twist even though it's not just about sex but it's not i don't even think it's just related to the fact that it's called sexuality um but more the fact that like homosexuality and just all queer identities have been so fetishized and sexualized by the media that a lot of homophobic and transphobic people don't even believe that there is any discussion around LGBTQ people and identities that isn't centered around sex. Um, but as I said, that's a bit of a sidebar. Um, and that's not that's not really what the, the article is discussing. That's just my own take and my own um, my own opinion on it. Um, but moving on, President Joe Biden tweeted about this bill, calling it, quote, hateful um, and that his administration will be continuing to fight for the rights of LGBTQ identifying citizens of this country um i do think it's interesting that a lot of uh a lot of like pro lgbtq stances from politicians recently has just been happening on twitter and hasn't really resulted in much like thank you joe biden for calling it hateful can you fix it though (laughs) and i know things take time things take time um and I'd, i'd rather see pro-LGBTQ stances on Twitter than nothing at all, but it's just interesting that a lot of it's just happening on Twitter and there isn't really a a lot of immediate action supposedly being taken, or at least that we can see. Uh, the, The representatives themselves have also had a lot to say publicly about this stuff. Uh, with uh, two specific state representatives quoted in this article. Republican State Representative Tom Fabricio brings up how children, quote, don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, end quote, so they can't process these things yet. That's another fallacy. Um, like, the, the thing from earlier about how they're not ready to process these things, like, it's it's just more in-depth about the fallacy. Um, just beca- just bringing up the word prefrontal, like, the the, the words prefrontal cortex does not make your argument any more sound, Tom. <laughs> um, like, again, it's you don't need to teach a third grader the nuances of gay sex to s- discuss LGBTQ topics in school. Um, so that's just that was just very interesting to read. Um, the Democratic State Representative Mike Grisio or Grico, I'm, I'm, I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, but he states, quote, this is an anti-gay bill. And if you vote for this anti-gay bill after today, you can never, ever claim to be an ally of the LGBTQ community. In fact, you are voting to be an opponent. And honestly, Mike, preach. <laughs> like, yes, I agree. That I couldn't have stated it better myself. Like, this is an anti-gay bill. There's no way around it. This is not to protect the children. This is not to keep inappropriate discussions from schools. This is an anti-gay bill meant to suppress the discussion and the rights and identities of lgbtq students in schools this is that is what this is um and i'm very happy to hear that there wasn't a representative that there's an a representative out there willing to just outright say this is anti this is anti-gay um because a lot of the times like it's just you beat around you see a lot of beating around the bush with this kind of thing um and it's it's really frustrating uh but You know, unsurprisingly, Catherine Oakley, the state legislative director for the Human Rights Campaign, said 2022 is, quote, poised to become the year of the most anti-LGBTQ legislation, end quote, in the United States. Although this stuff is not new in any way whatsoever. Um, The rest of the information from this article, um, just giving a general timeline of anti-LGBTQ legislation and laws, is from lgbtqhistory.org. And of course, obligatory, this isn't everything. This is just a a crash course. Um, But according to lgbtqhistory.org, the first anti-LGBTQ law went into effect in 1631 in Massachusetts when fornication, adultery, rape, and sodomy were declared sex crimes. For those unaware, which I do believe I discussed this a little bit in another episode, sodomy was the common charge for gay sex, though obviously I can't really go into much more detail without the podcast getting taken down. Um, But Uh, So this was one of the first times that, you know, LGBTQ law went into effect, which I just, I'm baffled that it was in 1631. Like, was that, was this really important enough? (laughs) Like, I feel like there were so many other things that could have been happening and should have been happening instead of this. But, you know, that's fine. Um, This is the first of many, many sodomy laws that continued throughout American history, with most not even being challenged, let alone repealed, until the 1920s, almost 300 whole years later. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Sorry, I'm yelling. This is just... uh. Anyway, uh, jumping forward quite a bit from 1631 to World War II, thousands of gay men and women were sent to concentration camps and designated with the Pink Triangle. Yes, for those unaware, the uh, the Holocaust did not just target the Jewish community. The Jewish community was the most affected, however, they were not the only ones. Um, and actually, uh, the queer people in these camps were the were among the last to be liberated, as German law still declared homosexuality illegal outside of World War II. Um, the pink triangle has actually come to be a fairly common LGBTQ symbol. Um, especially back in the 70s and 80s, it was a really big thing. Um, You'll still see it nowadays, usually only among the older LGBTQ community members. Um, But the pink triangle, if you see that, is from World War II and is a symbol of queer liberation. Uh, In 1950, the U.S. Congress issues the report, The Employment of Homosexuals and Other Sex Perverts in Government. If you couldn't tell by the title, it's not great. The federal government had secretly investigated the sexualities of all government employees with the report declaring that homosexuals, quote, constitute security risks, end quote, to the United States. I really don't... I would love to read this report and just see their logic here because I genuinely do not understand how somebody's bedroom antics have anything to do with security risks for the country. But, you know, that's fine. Uh... Moving forward two years later in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association lists homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance that could be treated. Uh, Yeah, so uh, (laughs) for those unaware, especially for the younger generation out there, uh, homosexuality was a a mental illness for a very long time. It was declared a mental illness that could be treated. This is where uh, conversion therapy started, which... Oh my goodness, I could. uh, there's so many things that I could dedicate an entire episode to, so I don't want to discuss them super in-depth here, Um, especially because there's actually quite a bit to go through. I think there's actually like three pages of just this information, basically, Um, so I won't spend too much time on that there. Uh, But also in 1952, President Truman signed the Immigration Act into law that barred, quote, aliens afflicted with a psychopathic personality, epilepsy, or mental defect, end quote. epilepsy is just that's honestly kind of funny to me because like why why um but while also just being generally horrifyingly eugenic the congress made it very clear with this act that this was meant to exclude gay people specifically in the psychopathic personality um as the american psychiatric association lists it as a sociopathic personality disturbance uh, in 1953, President Eisenhower banned homosexuals from working for the federal government, blaming security risks, once again. This stayed in effect until 1993, when President Clinton en- enacted the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law, allowing gay people, gay and lesbian people into the military, but only because they weren't asked for their sexuality and were told not to disclose their sexuality. Isn't this familiar? Almost like when trans people were banned from the military a few years ago. Isn't this familiar? Isn't this fun? Isn't this, like, over, what, 70? I can do math. Like, 70-year-old Bill, almost. Isn't that fun? That's great. Anyway, moving on. Remember those sodomy laws that weren't even challenged until the 20s? Illinois became the first state to decriminalize homosexual homosexual acts between two consenting adults in private in 1962. 1962, you heard that right. And more on the American Psychiatric Association over 20 years after the first declaration. The American Psychiatric Association changed the classification of homosexuality as a disease in 1973. However, it wasn't fully removed from the list of mental disorders until 1978. More fun, more fun things. One year prior in 1977, Anita Bryant, a former singer and Miss America pageant winner. Don't get me started on pageants. Oh my God, I will not stop talking about it formed the group Save Our Children in response to a Florida ordinance preventing homosexual discrimination. Sensing a theme here, Florida. Uh, this law re- was repealed in response. However, gay and lesbian activists publicly condemned the action and boycotted Florida Citrus Commission products, which Bryant was a spokesperson for. In 1980, three years after, Florida's... Uh, sorry, I read the long line there. Uh, in 1980, Bryant was fired from the commission through a new though a new ordinance wasn't passed until 1998. This was still, according to LGBTQhistory.org, one of the first times the LGBTQ community realized that we can make a difference and have political impact. Um, Of course, this is following the 1969 Stonewall riots. Of course, that was just a whole thing in and of itself, and that was more uh, the first time that the the community saw that we have power together in general. Um, This was more making a difference and having political impact. Uh, But back to 1978, though, the Briggs Initiative in California, intending to ban gays and lesbians from working in public schools, was defeated by 58% of voters. So here we're actually starting to see the first um, really pro LGBTQ legislation going into place, or at least pro LGBTQ legislative uh, actions. (laughs) Because this wasn't, it wasn't that um, gays and lesbians were uh, enabled and uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Encouraged, uh, and protected to work in public schools, but rather that a ban was defeated, which is great, but, you know, still fun. Uh, moving into the 80s, though, I'm dedicating an entire episode to this eventually, so I won't discuss this much, plus the article doesn't actually go into it much anyway, but in 1981, the AIDS epidemic started. The CDC- Ah, I love that. We've heard tons of them from re- in recent years. Reported the first case of a quote rare lung disease, first named the gay-related immune deficiency, uh, or otherwise known as GRID, but soon renamed acquired immune deficiency syndrome. I'm bringing it up here as the regu- as the regulation and dis- legislation from this epidemic, just didn't happen the government didn't really do anything because it was a gay disease as you know as i mentioned it was named originally the gay related immune deficiency nothing was done until too many non-gay people got it but you know that's the topic for another episode and it makes me so angry (laughs) if you couldn't tell but Anyway, moving forward further into the 80s, another sodomy law issue in Georgia in 1986 during the Bowers v. Hardwick case, with the Supreme Court ruling that there wasn't anything unconstitutional about the anti-sodomy laws. This wasn't actually overruled until 2003 during the Lawrence v. Texas, where the court stated they made the wrong decision. Isn't that great? You know, you know I, I appreciate that the Supreme Court did publicly state that like they messed up, they made the wrong decision. But it's, if you couldn't tell, all the information in this in this episode is just very angering for me. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time in my own opinion and my own emotions. I was just trying to present the actual information here. Uh, moving forward, in 1996, the Defense of Marriage Act was passed, declaring that marriage or legal unions are between one man and one woman. Uh, a lot of us, actually, in the younger generations have heard this act more so because of The actions in 2010, but we'll get to that in a second. I I have a bit of information on that in this script here, um, but I we've already all a lot of us have heard a lot about this act, even though it was passed before a a lot of us were even born, let alone knew we were gay. Um, but so we are a lot of us do know about this. This is actually where I started to really become familiar with a lot of the discussion that I was reading about here. Um, which, you know, as I've stated many, many times, this podcast has made me a lot more informed and has given me a reason and a specific motivation to do a lot more personal research on my community's history, which is really great. Um, but yeah, this is finally where I started being a little familiar with what was being discussed. Um, and while certain states had their own rules regulating same-sex marriage, both both mostly against but a little bit of pro uh this act more so declared that states were allowed to have their own regulations whilst generally declaring same-sex marriages as illegal and unfederal uh but surprisingly uh actually jumping forward over 10 years the next anti-lgbtq legislation nearing the end here is in california in 2008 with proposition 8 passing with a 52% vote declaring marriage as between a man and a woman you know further uh you know further getting into the individual state laws on same-sex marriage Uh, though in 2010 finally seeing more consistently pro-lgbtq legislation in the list in the list uh the obama administration officially repealed the don't ask don't tell law so that gay and lesbian people could serve openly in the in the military and the obama administration also repealed the defense of marriage act um which you know thank thank god but a little bit more later um again you know a bit more information in a minute I feel like I also vaguely remember this happening. Like, because in 2010, I was seven. um, So, of course, I wasn't politically aware in any way whatsoever. I was a small child, could barely read. Um, Well, okay, obviously I knew how to read, but, like, could barely read emotionally. (laughs) Um, But I feel like I vaguely remember this happening. I feel like I just—I may may be mistaking it, though, for what happened to the Defense of Marriage Act. But, again, more on that in a minute. In 2013, though, still in the Obama administration— Uh, this section actually had a lot of legal jargon that I was not fully understanding, so I sincerely apologize if I'm misinterpreting some of the information that I received here. I did my best to interpret it on my own, um, so I'm gonna- I'm gonna present the information as I interpreted it, um, so anyway, going forward, um, from what I'm gathering- the Hollingsworth v. Perry slash the California Proposition 8, uh, the thing from just before, went to the California Supreme Court, which ruled 5-4 to four, that the Supreme Court could not overrule the decision for Proposition 8, and that the 14th Amendment does not prevent California as defining marriage as between a man and a woman. However, there was an appeal—this I think is where I got really confused—the um, Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case, which somehow meant that it was found unconstitutional— um, But basically, at the end of the day, the important information here is that same-sex couples could legally marry in California at this point. Um, So that's cool. But also in 2013, and actually declared at the same time as Hollingsworth v. Perry, the Defense of Marriage Act was repealed for being unconstitutional under the Fifth Amendment. Um, So it's lots of legal mumbo-jumbo here that I didn't understand. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, same-sex couples could legally marry in California— and it was declared unconstitutional the the Defense of Marriage Act. Finally, at the end of our list here, in 2015, the Obergefell v. Hodges case was seen in the Supreme Court, voting five to four that the same-sex marriage was federally legal and discriminatory state laws were unconstitutional. Um, there's I kind I could also probably do a whole episode on like marriage laws in the United States, because um, I've talked with my stepmom about it actually. She got married in Hawaii with her wife. Because um, that was where it was legal at the time. Um, so, like, there were – there's a lot of nuance and discussion available about marriage laws for the LGBTQ community um, and even further laws, especially if you get into the nuance of disability and all of that stuff. I could talk – I could I could spend a whole episode and a half talking about that. Um, but, yeah, I just – it's just – I just think it's interesting that the main thing that we're ending here with is 2015 with the same-sex marriage. Of course, there are further laws, such as the ban on trans individuals in the military later on. But um, that's the end of this article. And it's also just, I figure, a pretty good stopping point for for this crash course. Because that was a lot of information. And I'm sure if I dug even further, I could find tons more anti-LGBTQ laws through American history. But this crash course is meant as a starting point and really to bring home the fact that these laws from 2022 are not new there have been resurgences of conservative legislation against lgbtq people multiple times throughout american history alone let alone international history and we've thought we thought through them before we can do it now especially with how much farther we have come as a country in lgbtq rights and acceptance of course we have a long way to go And these legislations and laws are hard to see and have already had devastating impacts before even really going to an effect. That's undeniable. But we are not lost. We are able to make it through and fight these laws. There are text lines and other online petitions and so much more available to get active and help fight these legislations. And especially if you live in these states like Florida and Texas, you can write to and call the government officials and representatives and their offices declaring public protest to these bills. Because, of course, our country's government system is meant where even if the representatives don't fully agree, they are supposed to follow the feelings and opinions and mentality of the state that they're representing. God knows if they'll actually do it or not. But we can still declare public protest and encourage them to, you know, actually do their job. Um, But we are going to get through these bills together. We've done it before and we will do it again. And that actually brings us to a bit of a longer episode today finally you know breaching that 32 minutes or or that 30 minute mark specifically again like we did a bit more last semester so far but of course we've only had a few episodes this semester anyway um but yeah that was a lot of information i do hope that it was helpful and i hope that you learned something um of course i knew generally speaking that anti-lgbtq legislation has been a has been a thing in the country for forever um but it was as angering as it was very informative and very helpful for me to learn about all of these specific legislations that went into effect and the general timeline. Um, and especially fitting it into the lifetimes of the older LGBTQ people that I know in my personal life. Um, it's just really interesting to see like when all of these things really started happening and the various resurgences in conservative legislation, um, throughout history. It's just really interesting. Um, it's really good to learn about and it's it's really important as queer people especially the younger generation that didn't have to live through these things to know that these happened um both for you know morale purposes of like we can do it we've done it before we can get through them again um but also just important to know as part of our history Um, but you know before i keep rambling on and on and saying the same thing over and over i hope you guys have a great week I hope you guys learned something new from this episode and I will see you all next week. Have a great one, everybody.